Now, some people are away on holiday, bank holiday, which I understand that. And you were here. Thank you. But we have some things to say. It's not what I've got to say, albeit that is important. It's how well you're ready to hear and receive. Are you ready to receive? Because I've come to the conclusion my preaching doesn't do an awful lot. That's okay. Don't worry. I'm not asking you to go, oh, Tony, listen, I've not finished the sentence. I'm okay with that because God, God didn't call someone to be a professional preacher. Paul said, I came to you not with eloquence, not, but I did come to you with a demonstration of the power of God. I have to have more faith in the Spirit of God using what I say rather in my ability to say what I want to say. So if I've got my faith and my trust in God's word and it's up to him to use it, as it leaves my mouth, it's up to him how he uses it. He takes an awful lot of pressure off me. The the problem or the pressure for me, or listen, for anyone who's speaking, is not what to speak, it's what not to speak. Because once you get the right message, it's up to God then to use it. You prepare it. I don't spend an awful lot of time preparing my messages. Do you know why? Because I've now got a grace where I know how to put the word together. Right? My grace is in delivering it. And it's the Holy Spirit's job then to minister it to your heart. Amen? Some people may not like my style of communication. That's okay. I wasn't aware I had the style. But if you say I've got a style, that's fine. If you're going to compare me with somebody, save yourself a problem. There's no one like me. I'm unique. My mother told me that. So, in the book of Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 7, I want to ask you this morning a question, and this is the title of what I want to talk about. Why does love need reawakening? Why does love need reawakening. Why does love need to be reawakened? I'll say it in different ways. You can write it whichever way first appeals to you. Why does love need to be reawakened? You could put, why does my love need to be reawakened? Well, in Song of Songs, it says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, is poetic language, don't arouse or awaken love until basically is ready. So he's telling us that if you're going to start something, be very careful before you start, you awaken something. Because once you awaken this power called love, it is going to dominate. It is going to uh, infiltrate. It is going to penetrate every area of your life. If you awaken love, love has no restrictions. So you've got to be very careful. This is why when we, when we meet somebody and we think we're falling in love, falling in love is a great term. It means there's something going on and it's taking a hold of me and I feel powerless to stop. It's moving me towards a person or it's moving me in a specific direction. Anybody felt like that? Yes? And your actions then... You feel like you're losing control, but when love is, is pure love, you're always in control. Yeah. And you should be in control. 
Because love has to be managed. Oy. Love has to be measured. Love has to be monitored. Keep it all in the M's for you. So daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you. In other words, wake up, be serious, hear what I'm about to say. I'm charging you by the gazelles and the does. That's animals, that's symbolic for, I don't know, I haven't worked that one out yet. But what he's saying is, don't arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In other words, if you touch this thing, if you play with fire, right. So you've got to be very, very careful. You cannot just give your heart to anything. And you should not give your heart to anything. And you should not give your heart to everyone. Why? Because you have to guard your heart. Your heart is like a doorway. You have to guard who comes in and who you let out. Because not every, though you can't control everyone around you, you can control yourself around others. Amen? So love can be blind. Love, we can go, we can do silly things when we under the, in the, under the banner of love. But that's not love. That's not malign love. Love is something different. Love is special. And I discovered this journey uh, last week, funny enough, when I was speaking. It was my anniversary. I was 34 years married last Sunday. And on the 20th of September, I met this young girl called Caroline. She hates that name. That's why I can say it because she's not here at the moment. Carol or Caroline. Uh, at the, I met her. It was David's. Uh, she is still his David's brother. Her sister, should say. <laughs> And we went to the same school. Now, I didn't date Carol when she was at school, but I certainly recognized she was there and she was on the radar, so to speak. You know, when your eye catches, okay, that's David's sister. We might connect somewhere. And so we carried on and carried on. And, and when we both left school, I started to date. Now, when we started to date, we were young, stupid, naive, arrogant, and all those kind of things, confidently arrogant. And uh, who else has ever been confidently arrogant? I was definitely confidently arrogant. And uh, it took some years for God to knock that out of me. And he's still knocking it out of me now. And when I first met Carol, I saw her from a distance. And you know, when you see someone from a distance, you, you analyze, you weigh up. Is that not true? Yeah. The journey to, to God awakening love in my heart for this woman began at high school and then continued outside of high school. There's always a place where God begins the journey of love. Yeah. You have to recognize that place and because it becomes precious. Yeah. Because in your anniversary, that's what you celebrate. You celebrate the journey, don't you? Yeah. And you, you remember and you laugh and you, you think, how did we get this far? Yeah. And yet, it's a great journey. Many, see, when I first met Kelly, I observed her from a distance. Many people trying to enter the kingdom of God first do so by observing the kingdom from a distance. In other words, people are looking at your lives. Every day where you work, live, people are seeing, should be seeing the kingdom in you first. So they observe from a distance. Yes? They listen to you, they watch you, they analyze you, they criticize you from a distance. Yeah? So we observe love from a distance at first. And then we make a journey. See, because once you observe something and you like it, you can't help but then make a journey 
towards what your eyes and your heart is beginning to behold. But why? Because love is a powerful force. Now, we don't call it love. We're now analyzing the journey. Now we know where love started, but we know on our journey, if you're a sinner like me, and I was a good sinner, I sin really well. I'm really bad, right? I don't say that to be proud. Sin's not good. And, and I needed God to save me. But I was a bad sinner. <laughs> We're all bad, but I felt I was bad. I think I was the sheriff of bad. And I did things I'm not proud of. But then I discovered feelings for Carol. Feelings, oy, they can mess you up. You can spend money you didn't have. You can. You buy flowers you've never seen before. You wear deodorants you don't like. Because everyone tells you this is the thing, she'll like that. And you do things and say things you think, oh my, did she really hear me? Did she listen to that? Like I do. That's a bad word if you're not ready for it. And I discovered feelings for Carol, which then made me advance towards her. Many people discover feelings for God through observing your life. And once they observe your life, they then make a journey towards what's inside your heart. Yeah? And you're not always aware this is going on. And and so you just got to be natural. You've got to be you. And anytime, any place, anywhere, you've got to be you. You've got to present yourself well. Because people are watching and observing you. Even when you stood in a queue, people are watching and observing you. You know, it's amazing how many times God has taught me a lesson in a queue. Seriously. Because people push in and then someone says to me, time and time again, it's happened to me time again. And the lady or the man said, because you waited, they then give me an extra bit of favor. How's that? How cool is that? Just because they saw my behavior. But they didn't know inside. Oh, flipping. Come on, woman, hurry up. But because I kept, in fact, when we were in the Hilton in Malaysia, because of the way we dealt with the concierge and we dealt with the manager, he gave us an upgrade next time we went and we got a fantastic upgrade. And this is what he said. I'm the manager and I am so impressed the way you have dealt with this argument because I wouldn't have been so calm if I was in your shoes. So me and Phil got a very good upgrade next time we went. Why? Because people are watching. Yeah? Come back to it. So the journey to awakening love. When I first discovered, it's discovered from a distance. Secondly, once you then, it captures you then, begin to make a journey towards it. Thirdly, then comes the time to declare those feelings. You have to let the person who is capturing you know that you're interested. Maybe this is where you're going wrong in your courtship. If you're wanting to get married and seeking out to get married, at some point, you've got to be bold enough and brave enough to go and communicate what you feel towards another person. Now, don't say, I want to marry her. Let me give you that. It's not a great chat-up line. I've been thinking. I've been analysing you for a while now, and I think I might want to marry you. She might look at you and just say, weirdo, get out. You might have to work some lines. You might need to talk to somebody. How do I approach? 
In fact, I was watching an old Google, Google box, or Google box, what you want to call it. And this guy was having, he went on a date, and he's a very posh and prom, uh, prom and prom guy. But he just didn't have a scooby-doo how to talk to women. And every time he talked to women, he clammed up. And it was very painful to watch on TV. And he was aware of it. And it was a shame because he was a nice guy. And the girl, she was very polite with him and very pleasant. And afterwards, she says, I think we, I could do you as a friend. No, no, if you've got feelings for a girl, that word friend, come on. You know, honey, I don't want you as a friend in that sense. I want to get a little bit more intimate. She's saying, honey, I ain't your honey. Friend is all you're going to get. Frodo. (laughs) So... You've got to declare, you've got to, at some point, you've got to find language to declare what you feel inside. Now, this is the problem in many Christians. They have not discovered, listen, and this is a guy thing. I'll speak as a guy thing. Most men have never, ever learned love languages. And all the fellas just go, (laughs) speak, pastor, speak. Okay. When we say love language, there is touch. There is feel. There is listening. There is holding hands. I'm the type of guy, I like my wife when I'm stood. I like her to hold my hand or just put her her hand around my neck. And I like that touch. That touch kind of gives me, you know, hey, she's still interested. It's good. When you get to our age, you don't get many of those. You might get a couple of wangs, but you don't get a couple of strokes behind the neck. You look what it does to the cat. Imagine how we feel. Imagine how we feel, ladies. She loves me. She loves me. Right? So you've got to learn, ladies, or sort of fellas, you've got to learn love languages. Your wife likes to be stroked, held, talked to, listened to, thought about. Ladies, that's a good place for you to say amen. Because listen, it's not happening in many marriages. It's just not happening. And guys, you're not helping. You're not helping. You awoke love. Now you must maintain it. You removed all the barriers, all the obstacles to tell her that you you were feeling this for her. You, 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 You found enough courage to take her to the altar. Now you won a heart and she says, I do. You've now got to keep her and maintain her. Women are maintenance. So are men. It's called relationship. Is that not true, ladies and gentlemen? I am a low maintenance kind of guy. And my wife is very low maintenance. I have to say, Carol is very, very low maintenance. She does not cost me a lot. I chose the right one. (laughs) However, my recent purchase has cost me more than I thought. Right? However, she's worth every penny. She's worth every penny. I felt a little investment needed to be done. You know what? He who speaks the way must model the way. Okay? So... I'm not bragging, I'm just boasting. 
There's a difference under. There's a difference. <laughs> there comes regular times, not a time. There must be regular times of you declaring your feelings to that which you declare you love and feel most tender about. You can't just come on a Sunday and say, oh, I love you, Lord, and he's going to say, don't tell me that. Can you imagine if you're married and your husband only spoke to you once a week or your wife spoke to you once a week? You would struggle to think this relationship's going anywhere. It's the same with your love relationship with the Lord. Why does my relationship need reawakening? It's a good question, and I'm glad I asked it. The next thing is I discovered in my journey to God, awakening love for in my heart for Carol, I discovered, and you're not going to like this, I discovered how immature I was. I discovered how unchanged I am and how I don't like change and prefer to stay. I like to be like Jesus, the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. But it's only Jesus who's the same yesterday and forevermore. I must change. Why? Because I must be changing into his nature, likeness, and image. But that's as a believer. I wasn't a believer at this stage. And if I was, I was a very poor example of one. I discovered that I was immature. We were immature, but I was immature. And to use bad English, I was more immature. <laughs> and I was unchangeable. And I was emotionally dysfunctional. Oi. I can say that now. I wouldn't have agreed with it at the time, but that's how I was. Spiritually, the reason why our love is never in a good place because we're immature. Spiritually, we're immature. I love you today, Lord. I don't like you tomorrow. I'll serve you today and I won't serve you tomorrow. Now, we've all got elements of that in us. Everyone in this room has hot and cold running through them. Come on, be honest with yourself. That's the first place to start. If you're going to have your love reawakened, you've got to be honest with yourself and say, yes, I have a tendency to run hot and cold. Yeah, I do. You have to have the the guts and, and the wherewithal to say, yes, I can be emotionally dysfunctional. My, my hormone level, men and ladies, is up and down, up and down, up and down. I waft a fan, I cool myself down, I'm hot, I'm cold, I'm, I'm all, I'm all, emotionally I can be up and down. Now that's not a good position to be spiritually, nor is it physically, because you become unpredictable or you become predictable. And people don't like up and down people, they like Stability. And if you live with somebody who's up and down, up and down, up and down, it can be very, very pressurizing on the relationship. So we recognize there are sicknesses and illnesses and things like that, but we've got to recognize it so then we, our love can compensate and support. Yes? But where you're just throwing one, do you know what I mean by that? Where you're just, if you don't recognize it and everybody else around you is recognizing it, there's going to be trouble. And there's going to be the elephant in the room. And the elephant's going to devour us all. So it needs someone to say, you know, I need to change. Our love needs reawakening. So I realized I was unchanged, emotionally dysfunctional, and incomplete as a man. Because my father didn't take me 
from a boy to a man. My father left me a boy and expected me to make my own journey into manhood. Fathers are supposed to help their sons go from a boy into a man. So many young guys will abuse life, abuse women wrongly because they've never had the pattern shown to them. Because our fathers never had the pattern shown to them. And their fathers never had the pattern shown to them. You know, my dad says to me, always keep a couple of quid in your pocket for a pint. That was my father's wisdom. Gee, dad. (laughs) Great fella, great. And, uh, you know, most fellas say, you know, if a guy's sleeping with a woman, that's my boy. That's my boy. I don't want to be a boy. Notice what he said. That's my boy. It's the wrong phrase. That's the actions of a boy. Someone's got to take the boy and fashion him, form him, shape him into a man. Somebody needs to take daddy's little princess and form her, shape her, fashion her into a woman. And a responsible woman who knows how to look after herself and take care of herself. Parents play a major role. And the love that we have in our hearts can very quickly die and get contaminated with the wrong patterns. Does this make sense? So I discovered that I was immature. Many of you were, and some of you still are, immature. Dysfunctional, emotionally dysfunctional. And incomplete. And your love for God suffers because of those inc- that incompleteness. Come on, you have to be honest and you have to let others sometimes speak what you already know. It's amazing when someone speaks what you already know on the inside, how often we can resist. But deep down we go, I know they're right, but I don't like admitting that they're right. Your love will always suffer because of your incompleteness. Notice it said your love, God's love covers everything. God's love is not limited by you, but your reception, your, you receiving God's love is limited by how you think and your emotional dysfunctional behavior and your, your, your hot and cold running through your system is always going to limit you in how you receive God. And the things of God. This is why, to me, I've said it time and time again, and I've never heard anybody say it, so I want to be the first. The greatest gift any leader can have is emotional stability. Because everything sits, every gift, every strength, every thought, every grace that a leader can have must sit on emotions. And if the man's unstable, all that's in the man becomes unstable. True? True? So to me, I I spend a lot of time trying to make sure this leadership in my life is stable because it gives you great confidence and it puts your stones down. It takes the stones out of your hand because I don't like the feel of stones. I prefer love rather than stones. And that's why I spend a lot of time. My greatest question in life is why? Why do you do what you do? Because that is a journey question. That's an adventure question. That helps me to understand you better and understand life better. Every institution, every library, every academic, I can't say it, academic, 
Academia, that's it, I'm trying to, the word I'm trying to find. These are not my teeth, I borrowed them this morning. Is built on the why and the what. People go to libraries because they want a book to read about the why and the what. And the hows. Knowledge is everything in many ways. So I like the why question because it helps me understand your craziness. And it helps me understand my craziness. Because I have craziness. So I discovered, I greatly then begin to understand on my journey with Carol that I misunderstood love. Because I'm immature, because I'm dysfunctional, emotionally dysfunctional, because I'm incomplete, I misunderstand something that should be pure. And I contaminate and touch something that is pure because of my immaturity my dysfunctionality and my incompleteness. I touch things I shouldn't. I handle things the way an immature, dysfunctional, incomplete person would. This is my journey into love. And I understood, guys, and you'll probably understand this, I'll speak man to man, I misunderstood lust for love. I'm a young boy, I've got hormones running through me. I've got testosterone like a Ferrari. And I want to pursue what I feel. It's raging horses. I've got horsepower running through my system at a young teenager. And I realized that love was misunderstood and misinterpreted. And lust then has wants its pleasure. Now, I know I'm not talking to myself right now. And I realized, and here we go, guys. Lust is a selfish expression for self-gratification. Love is a selfish expression for self-gratification. It justifies its actions because it's me and only me. It's my feelings. It's all about how I feel, not how she feels. So lust, we then don't use the word lust. We use the word passion. But passion... To somebody else is abuse. This is why passion is, passion is dangerous when immaturity is around. I agree with passion. I'm a passionate man. But I am not a lustful, passionate man. Hello? Passion has to be controlled. Because if it's not controlled, it will produce lust. And lust will produce abuse. Hello. This is a good word this morning. What you thought was love is lust. Or could have thought was love was lust. So I greatly understood this. Or should I misunderstood this? I discovered love has to be patient. Love has to be funny enough. It has to be loving. Love has to be forgiving. Love is not rude. Love is not proud. It's not boastful. And it puts others before itself. That certainly was not my behavior. All I had was me, myself, and I. It's called the soulish, selfish trinity. Me, myself, and I. So I discovered this is my journey of love. And 
At some point in my life, God had to awaken love in my life. He had to awaken what love is. Now, when I found Christ, I still was immature. I still had untrained behavior. I was still ill-disciplined. I was still emotionally dysfunctioned. Why? Because I was still incomplete. So even though I was forgiven, I still had old behavior. Still had old patterns. I discovered this lesson. You ready for this? What we planted together, Carol and I, has to be maintained and kept in health. But it's difficult to keep something in health when the relationship has so many dysfunctions. It's the same in your walk with the Lord. What God brought into your life was forgiveness. It was complete forgiveness. It was pure forgiveness. Grace and mercy came to your life. Jesus Christ cleansed all your past and he gave you a clean slate, a clean slate. And he said, son, you're forgiven. I hold no more. I hold nothing against you. From this day, follow me, live a different life. That's what Jesus gave me, the option, right? But that journey of that second opportunity is a journey where you want me to love, but now it has to be kept in health. And here's the journey of the Christian walk. Your love, that was, you was awakened to this forgiveness. You was awakened to this grace. You was awakened to this mercy. You was awakened by the, the blood of the Lamb. But now you must keep your relationship in health. And in sickness and in health, love must remain. Can you get this? So from time to time, my feelings of love or my expression of those feelings of love for Carol and for God have waned. Now, please don't, don't misunderstand that comment. My affections for Carol has never wandered. There's a difference. But our love language and our expression needed some help. I've never once gone to another woman, looked for another woman. I recognize good-looking women. I'm not blind. But I don't give my heart to them. I know my eyes, if they wander too far, will get me in trouble. Yes? Because what my eyes capture, my heart then moves towards. So I've got to be very careful. Every man needs to control his thoughts. Come on, men. You have to guard the heart. So everything that is planted must be maintained. When God planted his seed of love in me, he says, now you, son, water it and maintain it. When he gave me a love for Carol. He said, now, son, you've got to take care of her. You better man up because you better take care of this woman. You better give her life. You better give her leadership. Life and leadership. That's my role. It doesn't mean to say I make all the decisions. It doesn't mean to say that I boss her. No, I don't. I said life and leadership. My wife needs leadership. I need leadership. So together we bring leadership to our family. But Carol, left to herself, can be very passive. She'll tell you that. Our mother's just the same. The apple and the tree. They don't, fall, they don't fall far from each other. And we laugh about it in our house. So I'm not telling you anything I don't, you know, we don't talk about. Love has to be kept awake. 
Don't ever let love go to, re- to the point where it needs resuscitating. But love needs to be kept awake. Yeah? Or it will die, fade, and wander, shift. It will die, fade, wander, and shift onto other things. It will die, fade, and wander, and shift onto other things. Yeah? See, when love dies, shifts, and wanders, and fades, your relationship becomes non-purposeful and unfulfilling. When love within you begins to wander, shift, fade, and wane, whatever you want to use, words you want to use, your relationship that you're already in begins to become non-purposeful and unfulfilling. Why? Because your heart and your mind is looking over there because of what's missing in here. It's amazing people leave churches. Why? Because what's not working in here, they think it's going to work somewhere else, but they forget the problems in them. Not always the case, but you've got a lot of cases. Your relationship with God is no different. It's no different. So let, let's, let's look at the lesson of Samson. Samson in Judges chapter 14, verse 5, in case you think you don't read enough Bible. Is this helping you? Judges 14, 5. Samson, just track me now on some verses. Samson went down to Timnah, together with his father and mother. So they went as a family. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, so that he tore the lion, so he then tore the lion apart with his bare hands, as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. So let's just pause there for a second, because you think, what's this got to do with love? Well, follow me and you'll find out. Here he is with his mother and father. And all of a sudden, he discovers he has a supernatural strength. So the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and and, and he tears the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. I mean, how much strong must you be to have torn a goat in half? Yeah? Okay, let's go to chapter 16, verse 4. And I'll sum up these verses in a minute. Judges 16, verse 4. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman. Aye, now you're back on the page. In the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. Now we all know the song. Why, 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 Delilah? Now you know where it came from. (laughs) The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you a secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So now Samson's in love. He's found himself a woman called Delilah. Let's go to Judges 16 verse 19. We pick up the story. So we've gone from Judges 14 to 5, then we were in Judges 16, verse 4, and now we're in the same chapter, shooting down to verse 19. And we see, having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. And she called Samson, 
Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gorged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Quite consequential, wouldn't you say? So let's bring these things together. So let's, what, let's see here how Samson's position of stature before God begins to decline. Samson's stature before God, how it begins to decline and how it relates to us in our relationship with the Lord. Notice the first thing we see, it says in Judges 14, 5, it said, The Spirit of the Lord came on him in power. So he has something that he never previously had. He now has a strength that he never previously had. Would you all agree? The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Something divine happened and rested on something that was human. There was a power from high that the power below did not have. That's what you've got. He who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Why? Because the one who is in you is a divine power. And it's given you all things appertaining to life and godliness. You've got the keys of the kingdom. You've got the blood of the lamb. You've got the name of Jesus. You've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've been given all things. So you have a power that rests on your life. You've got an advantage and leverage that the average guy in the street does not have. And yet, why is it the guy in the street seems to be doing more with what he's got than most believers? Hmm. Why is it, church, that more divo- there's just as many divorces in the church as there are outside of the church? That shouldn't be the case. We know human relationships are the same all around the world. Irrespective of culture, man still has to love woman. He has to find his way of loving her. He has to find his way of telling her. I know from culture to culture, it changes somewhat. But the still remains the same to, to a large degree. Certainly in the Western world, one woman, look after her. I know in certain cultures, you can have as many as you want. One's enough. Think of the mother-in-laws. Whew. One's enough. So something came, something divine came upon him and was given to him, which made Samson now aware. Samson now has a conscience that something divine is on his life. When Jesus Christ was given to you, he gave you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you the conscience of God. You should know that what you carry is greater than what the world carries. Doesn't make you a better person. It does not make you a better person. It gives you leverage. It gives you leverage. You are consciously, he became strong because he became consciously aware of what he carried. So then he knew how to rely and put his trust in the strength that was on his life. You must learn to 
to rely on him who is greater. You must learn to function from what God has put inside of you. That must be the operation governing your life. My faith is not in Carol. My faith is in God. Because Carol wanders and wanes like I do. And her faith and her confidence has to be in God. And we have to have this relationship with God. Now, listen, when God's not there, I'm still responsible. I've still got to sort my life out. And I've still got to treat my wife, whether God was involved or not. Why? Because I must respect the humanity in her. She's a woman. I'm a man. Speak to one another like you want to be treated. Whether I'm a Christian or not. But the fact I am a Christian changes the game. Hello? Now, the Spirit of the Lord that is on you is not actually on you, it's in you. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samuel, on Samson, but the Spirit of God in the New Testament lives in you. And He teaches us all things and He leads us into all truth. It came on Samson, but it could also leave Samson. But it doesn't leave you, but you can become dull of hearing. So you must realize, in order to keep your love awake, you've got a leverage that others haven't got. Let's go. Let's go down a little bit. Point two. Some time later, he fell in love with a woman named Delilah. So his heart's been captured. Delilah for the want of a better word, can be a type or shadow of distractions in our world. Yes, she was a real woman, but also she is a type and shadow of distractions that can create trouble for love. You get that? She's a type or shadow. What do I mean, what do I mean by that? Well, anybody ever met any liars? Yeah, she lied. Anyone ever seen betrayal before? Anybody felt betrayed? That's what she had. Yeah? She seduced him. But what did she seduce him with? Craftiness. Deceit. And her false words. To say to my wife, I love you so I can have sex, is deceit. Or vice versa. Love does not equal sex. Sex comes out of love. Not love out of sex. Just a thought. If I love her, it doesn't mean to say we have to then go to the next level. Some blokes think that's the case. That's the little boy again. It's like saying, did I do good? Give me a sweet, reward me. How about growing up? Okay. So then he's captured and captivated and she's, she's subdued him. Yes? Now let's move on to the next part. Having put him to sleep on her lap. You know, I've never fell asleep in Carol's lap. I don't know what she did, what, drank, or what drink he drank, or what words she said. But this guy fell, fell asleep in her lap. Now, Samson, you've got to say, is a bit dumb. Is a bit dumb. I mean, talk about seeing the writing on the wall. 
I mean, he doesn't even know that this woman he's married, she keeps crying and moaning, you don't love me, you don't love me, you don't love me, you don't love me. If you don't tell me, she's hijacking him. Every time she says you don't love me, she's conditional. She's saying, if you, if you really love me, you tell me this. My wife don't say that. My wife doesn't blackmail me. If you really love me, you would do this. She doesn't do that. That's not the fruit of a good relationship. And Samson's dumb. I think he was already asleep before he was in a lap. <laughs> so here he is, having put him to sleep. Having put him, she did it deliberately. She put him to sleep. She has an incredible power to subdue him. There are forces operating in your relationship that can put you to sleep. There are forces around in your life that have the power to subdue you and put you to sleep. You can put strong people to sleep with, the, with a deceitful power. Oi, I'm going to tell you about that next time I speak. How it's possible to put a nation to sleep. A nation to sleep through deceit. Delilah is like a Jezebel. She's a type and a shadow. She has power with her words to seduce. She is, she is a very dangerous manifestation. Yes, I'm not talking, I'm talking more than just this woman. I'm talking about the spirit that she emanates, yeah, and portrays. So whenever you allow your heart to be wrongly become attached, whenever you allow your heart to wrongly become attached, it will put you to sleep. Because love gets distorted. It's amazing when somebody's starting a relationship with a girl, and we'll use a girl because simply because I'm a man telling, speaking, that's all, ladies. It can be both ways. It's not... I'm not trying to be detrimental in any way. I'm just using it as an analogy. You know what I'm going to say. It's amazing when a relationship's young and a guy is trying to impress the girl and she knows it or he knows it, how much money he can get her to spend or she can get him to spend. And when it's all gone, she had no intentions or he had no intentions of taking the relationship any further. But guess what? She got a lot of stuff. He got a lot of stuff from her. Why? Because he knew how to seduce. She knew how to seduce. Thank goodness, my good lady, being the pint size she is, fur coats, diamond rings, foreign holidays, was not part of our makeup. She's a very easy girl to maintain. And I like it so. <laughs> she will say the same about me. So, he put her to sleep. Or she put him to sleep, should say. She had an incredible power to put him to sleep. Why? Because his heart became attached to the wrong person. To the wrong thing. She did not love him. Samson, wake up. The Philistines are upon you. How many times could the Lord speak that to you in your relationship? 
use your name and say from heaven above, Emma, wake up, the Philistines are upon you. Why? Because she's allowed herself to be seduced, duped, deluded, destroyed, derailed, anything with a D on it, works. And when you wake up, it's almost like God has to re-wake you up because you're in this fictitious world. You're in this demonic world, which is not fictitious, it's real. But people flatter you with the words which puts you in a delusional, a delusional world. Yes? And it's amazing how I can put people to sleep. See, what the Bible tells us about the tongue being the rudder. It can steer the whole ship. How does it steer the whole ship? Because it has power to empower and it has power to disempower. It has power to create. It has power to corrupt. So one man, one man in a pulpit can corrupt a whole bunch of people. And can distort the love of God and make it sound that it was meant to mean this, when actually it wasn't. And people do an awful lot of things in the name of so-called love and in the name of so-called God. And God, this is why the Bible has a lot to say about shepherds. Shepherds in the Old Testament deceived the people. Shepherds in the New Testament who were deceptive were like wolves. So the Lord, let's go to point four. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. This is a very serious aspect of your love relationship with God. When you walk, when you think you're walking with God and God has left you. Oh, pastor, God never leaves nor forsakes me. No, but he does stand back a little. And it makes you feel like God's left you, but God's not that far, but he just takes a step back. And so you'd be, why? Because he's, he's saying, you know, when you take, step, take a step back, you analyze someone's behavior, you go, okay. You've got, you've got God's attention. And he's watching and observing your behavior. Why? Because he's tried to speak to you. He will speak to you. He'll, try, he'll use every means to speak to you, but he can see that his words are having no impact upon your life. But you're in love with your husband, you're in love with your wife, but your relationship with God is beginning to suffer. But he did not know the Lord had left him. That's a very, very difficult place to be. He was now consciously desensitized to God's presence upon his life. He was now consciously desensitized or unconsciously desensitized, whichever word you want to work using there, to God's presence upon his life. Meaning, he thought business as usual will bring him continued success. When you go out every day doing the things that you do, expecting to get the same results, then that's lunacy. When you can't, believe, when you can't see that God is taking a step back and you are so far in front of him doing your own thing, you, my friend are going to waste a lot of years in your life. And you're going, to climb the wrong, you're going to climb the wrong ladder and you're going to spend all your years climbing that career ladder or climbing that success ladder, whatever ladder you want to put on it, what term you want to put on it, only to when you get to the top, you realize it's the wrong wall. You were climbing the wrong wall. You sure your ladder should have been over there. Oh, I think your love needs reawakening, my friend. So, the final aspect of Judges, 
is this. And the Philistines, Philistines seized him and gorged out his eyes. And they took him down to Gaza. So when your love needs reawakening, it's because things have happened, happened in the background for some considerable time in your life. When your love wanes, other things take its place. And when other things take its place and other powers begin to subdue you, it will blind you. And it will gorge out your eyes so you cannot see what God wants to do with your life. It's frightening, guys. This is why this house needs reawakening. Because over many of our lives, at different times and at different seasons, we could equally hear heaven. We read in in Revelation chapter 4, I heard the Spirit of the Lord say to me, come up here. Now that's one form of communication, is it not? The Lord spoke to me, he he let me see heaven and I came up to heaven. We read that in chapter 4 during our worship. But what happens if you can't see? And you can't hear, you can't enter in. You can't follow. Remember Saul, the Apostle Paul, when he first became a Christian, what was the first thing God did? Blind him. And Ananias had to go and lay hands on him to restore his sight. But where did he go? He went to a place, a house on Straight Street. There is a place that God has for you. To restore your blindness. There are people that God is trying to put on your path. Who can help you restore you your sight. But if you don't want that place. And you don't want those people. Then you will always walk around with a measure of impaired vision. My mother-in-law has to go to the hospital every six weeks to have injections in her eyes. Not easy is it? Right? And then for a whole day she's gone. She can't see, and then the drops have to take the, do the magic, and then she all of a sudden, the world comes back again. But her world is still fuzzy on a good day. Right? So her sight is impaired. Can you imagine spiritually walking around imp- with impaired vision you can't see? What did Daniel say? I thank you, Lord, that you have helped us to see what we prayed, the dream of the king. Daniel's got clear vision. God wants you in this love relationship and in this, uh, this the pursuit of love. God does not want the Philistines to seize you. He does not want you to be put to sleep in some foreign God's lap. He wants you to be fully awake. And we all have our foreign gods. And what I mean by that it can, it, materialism is a great, great indication of where your heart is being pulled. Whether it's jewellery, houses, cars, money, whatever. We can all be put to sleep, seduced. I'm going to bring it to an end because I've got far more to say than I've got time. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. Let's go in and we'll bring it to an end. Come and join us. Since you died with Christ, 
to the basic principles of this world, Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? What are those rules? I'm glad you asked. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These are the basic rules of our world. Our world wants you to taste. Our world wants you to touch. Our world wants you to handle certain things. We live in what we call a secular, liberal society. Secular humanism, blah, 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 blah. Post-Christian modern age, whatever phrase you want to use. They're not phrases, that they, they mean something. But the phrase that always speaks to me is the word libertine. Libertine means unrestraint. No holds bar. No barriers. We have, a, we have a generation who has a no restraint attitude. Everything is possible. Nike's telling you, do the impossible. And this subliminal advertising is running in the background of people's minds. And it's confusing and distorting the affections of many, many people. It's contaminating so many relationships because now I compare myself with others and I want to be like the Joneses. It's a figure of speech. I want to compare myself with another family because they, they've got something, they do something or they've got more credibility. I mean, can you imagine on Facebook, kids... Threat, uh, the kids are freaking out because she's got more likes than I've got. And this causes a kid major, major stress because other kids in their class are realizing you haven't got as many likes as I've got. Who cares? It's Facebook. It's not real. They're not real people. It's just people being unsociable, telling you, confusing you that they're sociable. You tell them you've got no money and see how many friends hit you. Tell them, tell them you've got no money and I desperately need £2,000, 200 quid, whatever. You put the price on it and see how many friends come to your rescue. Then you'll know how many likes you've really got. Do you know I know that? Because it's happened to me. An email, someone hacked my account and told everybody I was in Spain and they had no money. Please send money. But you know what? I found out who the people were. Not the people who did it. I found out those who rang me, who left messages saying, if you need money, we'll send it to you. I found out a whole bunch of people ignored me. But there were some people who said, if you need money, it's there. And I thought, how interesting. Out of a mess and distortion, actually, some good came out of it. Facebook is a nuisance. As much as it's good and much as it can be fun, as much as it can be useful, it's a nuisance. It's creating stress in so many people's lives. So, don't handle. Don't touch. 
don't taste. Or let's rephrase that. Let's responsibly handle. Let's responsibly taste. Let's responsibly touch. But the scripture says, these are the patterns of the world. They're all destined to perish with use. Ah. Okay. So the more I touch, the more I taste, the more I handle. Eventually, it's not going to produce the fruit that God wants to, it to produce. It eventually, it's going to fade away and going to die. And guess what? It's going to kill me and I'm going to die the more I touch, handle and taste. True? Because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship. No, you didn't think of worship this morning in that vein. Their False humility in their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So touch, taste and handle has no limits when the world uses those words. Can you see that? Why? Because they have, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. The word's there. Now, sensual means expressing or suggesting physical sexual pleasure that brings satisfaction. The word indulgence means momentary or occasional pleasure, whether that be good or bad. Whichever way you stack that, it's not good. True? So, 1 Corinthians 6.12, this is the last scripture. It says everything is permissible for me. However... But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And here's one love that people have. Food for the stomach. And stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. If your love is for food, your food will destroy your stomach at some point. Your food, your love for food, your indiscipline in the food area will take the life of its owner. Go and ask the doctor. This is not the gospel. This is not negative. It's factual. That's why we must discipline ourselves what we eat, when we eat, and how we eat. We must digest our food. Hello? We must not eat too late at night. Albeit, I can hear myself preaching to myself there. <laughs> I don't have snacks at night, but when I come back from the gym, I don't like to go to the gym on a full stomach. So that's my problem, not yours. For the stomach, and, uh, so food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. That's when I say we can't enjoy food. But don't let food enjoy you. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Go and tell our world that and see what it says. We have the gay pride this week. Go and tell them that it's not for sexual immorality and see what happens. But get ready to run. The body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. 
So if you have a love for God and God has a love for you, you must love your body. Why? Because your body is the vehicle that carries and demonstrates the love for God. Hello? Pie and chips every night is not going to help you. You know what I know? Look. When we touch, taste, when we, when we touch things, taste things and handle things that are contrary to our Christian value and beliefs and expectations, you become less and less, or more and more less and less conscious and desensitized to the leading of God and the presence of God upon your life. This is dangerous. So what do we touch? What do we handle? What do we look at? Where do we allow ourselves to walk and be led? Where? How do we listen? What do we listen to? Who do we listen and and surround ourselves with? All these things can desensitize you and kill the love of God in your life. This is why your love has to be reawakened. Because the moment you become desensitized to God, the moment you've allowed Delilah to put you to sleep will be the moment the Philistines come upon you, the moment, and they'll seize you, and they'll blind you, they'll guard out, guard out your eyes, and they'll take away your destiny. They'll take away your purpose. They'll take away everything good in your life. Why? Because you've allowed Delilah to subdue you. Delilah's a very real person. It's a very real thing. It's subtle. It's deceptive. Sometimes it's not on our conscious radar. That's why we have to walk by the Spirit. Because if we walk by the Spirit, God will show us those things trying to seduce and subdue our lives. Amen? Let's stand to our feet, if we will, please. This is why I keep saying to you, God is trying to wake this house up. It must wake us up. We have allowed the Philistines in some areas of our lives. We've allowed Delilah to enter in into our personal, private lives. And when the Spirit of the Lord, though it's in us, is not allowed to speak to us because of our delusions and our deception so the first thing you and I have to say we have to we have to listen to this and we have to take serious serious stock of what God is saying what areas I've been saying this and I said a couple of weeks ago and I keep saying again what areas are you numb and dumbing they are the areas where potentially Delilah has put you to sleep they are the areas potentially where Delilah and the Philistines have come upon you. And they have blinded your eyes and blinded your sensitivity to the love of God. And the, and, and the Lord's saying, if I'm going to wake love up, David, in this season, it cannot be like it was in other seasons. It has to be maintained and has to remain strong to the place called finish. I cannot keep waking this love up like this, at some point you must become vigilant and take responsibility of guarding this love because there are foxes trying to get into your vine. They will eat your fruit. They will ravish the fruit that you have spent years and years and years trying to build. 
And just through one situation, it can come and ravish a whole year's work. So we can't allow that. We must be more vigilant. So we say, Lord, set a guard over my eyes. Set a guard over my heart. I don't want to touch what's wrong. I don't want to taste what's wrong. I don't want to handle what's wrong. I don't want to walk in a direction that's wrong. Lord, wake me up. Wake me up. I need waking up. Set that guard over my heart. So go on, just ask the Lord right now. Lord, set that guard over my heart. Don't let me touch things. Don't let me taste things. Don't let me handle things. Don't let me walk into environments that you know are not good for me. Lord, speak to me. Show me your hands. Show me your ways. So the enemy, so the Philistines, who was a, who was a picture of an enemy, won't, don't, won't destroy your life. Father, I pray for your people. I say, Lord, set a guard over the house. Set a guard over the people of the house. Let your people see, Lord. Let your people know. Let your people grow. Let your people sow. <coughs> what you have planted in our hearts, may it be guarded. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. Put your hands on your eyes. Put your hands on your eyes. And put one on your heart. And say, Lord, this day, remove any blindness in my heart. Give me vision. Give me clarity. Remove any obstacle, any delusion. Any distraction in my heart that is, that is causing me to become blind and desensitized. Father, right now, I call on the name of Jesus Christ. And I ask you to remove, awaken me. Awaken the love of God within me. So that a new day can dawn upon my life. Father, I humbly pray this prayer. Knowing that you are able to stop me, prevent me from falling. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a standing ovation.